Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. What's up, guys? It's Harrison Phillips here, and you're listening to Nate and the Fellows on the Circle the Wagons podcast on Buffalo Rumblings Podcast Network. Nobody circles the wagons like the Buffalo Bills. Go Bills, baby. Welcome to the Circling the Wagons podcast, a podcast discussing the Bills all year round with interviews, news, recaps, and insightful fan discussion. Here's your host and lifelong Bills fan, Nate. Hello, everyone. We are less than a week away until the Bills pick in the 2021 draft. And this is so much fun. I'm so pumped. Thank you so much for joining us. Welcome to another episode of Circling the Wagons, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. If you didn't check out the last episode, we just released a seven-round mock draft with both Dan Lavoy and Griff, BuffaloRumblings.com writers, and they each gave their own seven-round mock draft. That was a lot of fun. But in this episode, we are talking with none other than Bruce Nolan of the Bruce Exclusive, and we talk about a lot of things. We we do a seven-round mock draft together just like I did with uh, Dan and Griff, but this one leads to so many different discussions and offshoots of questions like we both managed to somehow come up with a really great analogy as to why you shouldn't draft a running back in the first round at number 30. We talk about uh, Trevor Lawrence not becoming a Jet, and is that a good thing? Uh, I did that with Dan and Griff also. We talk about a lot of different items especially at the back we talk about some philosophical things as far as brandon bean and how important this draft is maybe it's the most important draft he's ever had or maybe it's not Uh, we also talk about um, some personal items in this episode for bruce as much as he can uh, talk about them without thinking that i'm a member of the fbi Uh, we talk about uh, just so many fun and interesting topics he lets me ramble on at the end about different things and different items and you'll have to guess how many defensive backs bruce takes in this seven round mock draft now i'm going to give you a hint It's more than zero, and it's less than seven. You'll have to find out for yourself. So without further ado, Bruce Nolan from the Bruce Exclusive Podcast. I think now is a good time to do our seven-round mock draft, um, something similar to what you did with uh, the guys over at Cover One. And it just it's just a good springboard to talk about maybe players that we haven't or get your thoughts on certain rounds of guys that you have a crush on based on where they're landing. And, uh, and you know what's funny is um, I'm going to start off this question with something similar to what I asked you last year was, and 
I last year the the Miami Dolphins were picking uh, first, and Tua Tagovailoa was uh, was always being mocked to the Dolphins, and I was asking you know should should Bills fans be worried about having to visit him you know or play him twice a year, and uh, and right now I guess I'm not really quite sure to, if I'm going to say that I'm counting him out because it's way too early in his career. I mean, if people counted out Josh Allen after his rookie season, I mean, you know, where would we be today? Um, I'm going to ask you the same thing about the Jets not being able to pick Trevor Lawrence. As a Bills fan, as someone that creates content for the Bills, um, obviously you have a rooting interest. How happy are you that, that there's almost no likelihood that the Bills will be facing Trevor Lawrence twice a year uh, in the AFC East? I'll be happier about it if Zach Wilson ends up being a bust. So, yeah, I, I think Trevor Lawrence is a better prospect. Obviously, I have him ranked higher. Most most everybody has him ranked higher. But if Trevor Lawrence ends up being really good and Zach Wilson ends up being really good too, then I don't feel as good about it, to be honest. So <laughs> I'll feel better about it when Zach Wilson, who I, I think they're going to take it at number two, when that happens, then I'll feel good about it. But until then... I'm always nervous. I just live in a perpetual state of nervousness. I, I think it's one of the reasons I'm so well prepared for stuff is because I'm constantly trying to make sure that I'm pacifying my own nervousness. So we're looking at the Bills first pick in the first round, pick number 30. Obviously, the first player, which you're probably going to take is Javante Williams, a running back out of North Carolina. Obviously. So, um, <laughs> can I say um, I'm I've always been 100 percent on board with you as far as uh, running backs not being nearly as highly valued as they used to be um, with older offenses, you know, through the 90s and maybe the early 2000s. And I've, I've tried to have an open mind, Bruce. I've, I've tried to listen. I listened to the Hump Day Hotline that you did a couple weeks ago and just like, okay, somebody convinced me. I, I need to know. I try, I try to take that way with like politics and a lot of other things in life. At least I, I think we all try to. And I just haven't heard one good excuse or one good reason why. And um, I, I thought of an analogy, and since, since you're good at analogies and, and you like discussing these things, I thought this is my analogy for picking a running back as opposed to an offensive lineman, which I believe is more important for your running game as opposed to the to the best uh, talent running back. So um, like, let's say, so my wife and I are looking at upgrading our house, renovating, and uh, in, in this scenario, she wants to do the kitchen, right? Why wouldn't you want to do the kitchen? You spend so much time in there. Um, it's one of those things where it looks nice. It raises the value of your house, blah, blah, blah. So, so that's all well and good. That makes sense to upgrade it. But what if my foundation isn't as good? What if there's issues in my basement? The structure isn't settled. I mean, you look at those things overall and maybe, maybe structure maybe isn't, isn't as good of a thing because, or isn't as good of an analogy because, uh, it, you have serious problems if your structure is crumbling, but like, maybe it's more of like, uh, a utility thing, like an electrical service. Maybe I only have like a hundred amp service and, you know, really to be modern, I need a 200 amp service or something like this. Um, the offensive line to me is something that it, it isn't sexy, but it's important for, the uh, the importance, the backbone of your house in this analogy, whereas the kitchen is something that's good, it's nice to have, but it's not nearly as a necessity because if the other thing 
crumbles or breaks down or whatever, you're in big trouble. You might have the best kitchen. You might have an $80,000 upgraded kitchen, but what good does it do when there's water leaking into your basement because there's cracks in the foundation? So that's my analogy. What do you think about that? And is there any relation to the running game, the offensive line there? I like your analogy. I like your analogy quite a bit. Let, let me let me let me try and let me try and modify it here. So Please. you said the kitchen, right? Yes. Okay. So go with me on this. Let's flip it a little bit. Okay. Mm-hmm. If you upgrade your kitchen and you upgrade your bathrooms, that upgrades the value of your house by a lot. Like everyone pretty much accepts that if you bought a house and you want to flip it, the first place you look at is you go flooring as far as carpet. You put new flooring in, you paint, you make sure cabinets are right kitchen and bathrooms, and they'll ignore a lot of stuff. They'll ignore the HVAC issues. They'll ignore the fact that the basement's a little musky. They'll, they'll, they'll ignore a lot of things if those things are right. Well, your wife's like, listen, I want to upgrade the kitchen too. And I know we spend a lot of time in there. It's functional. It matters, but I really want a media room. I really want a media room. I want to put a big screen TV on the wall and I want to put movie posters on there and I want a media room and you go, yeah, that's great. And she goes, but it'd be so much fun and we would really enjoy it. And isn't that what the house is about? Enjoying things. And you go, yeah, it is. And that's great, but it's not responsible. We don't spend any money there. It's not really functional. That thing you do it for just fun, but it doesn't increase the value of your home basically at all, because then you have some people buy in. Maybe you don't even want a media room if you buy this house. So you could put your money into the kitchen, which is going to be both functional and increase the value of your home. Or you could put it into a media room, which is fun and enjoyable. And I'm not saying it doesn't have any value. It does have value. Enjoyment has value. We just can't lose sight of things that are more functionally important because of things that have, you know, flashy fun associated with them. How do you feel about, how do you feel about that? I, I took your, I took your, your analogy. And I think I found a way to modify it. I think I found a one we like. Yes. I do like that better because you spend all you're right with, when it comes to buying a house, the the kitchen absolutely upgrades the value. So, so I like your idea there because, or, or, or how about this? How about this? <laughs> let's flip it three more times. Okay, let's um, do what it. about, what about adding like an above ground pool? Right. <laughs> like, especially yeah. where we live, we live in the North area where you only get like four or four months of it, right? Oh, that's a great one. (laughs) You only get, yeah, that goes right along with your idea of usage for running backs in a a pass-heavy offense, right? That's a great one. There we go. See, see, we're just brainstorming here, man. You and me, Nate. (laughs) Do you want this to be the the Nate and Nolan podcast? Is that what it is? The Nate and Nolan show (laughs) coming to you on the Buffalo Rumblings. Let's add add the sound bites back in. The way we used to have them on the old Nick and yep. Nolan show It'd be a party yep. all the time. All right. That sounds good. I like the way that we springboarded off each other. So the analogy that you know I heard people talk about in the Humpty Hotline was fantasy too. Like people talk about fantasy. And and that actually goes into your point even more so because there was, I mean, I, I play a lot of fantasy football. I know you do. You just won this dynasty league this past season. And so if there's anything that fantasy has taught us is that running backs are absolutely replaceable in a good offense that utilizes them well, right? Absolutely. Think about, think about Le'Veon Bell a few years ago when he was with the Steelers and he got suspended or injured or whatever the case was. And D'Angelo Williams comes in 32 years old, a cast off from the Carolina Panthers, and he's playing at a Pro Bowl level without Le'Veon Bell. 
now? Is it because he all of a sudden found the fountain of youth and be, realized he was a talented running back? Or was the system and offensive line in place for him to succeed just like it was for Le'Veon Bell? The people that you don't want to draft and you don't want to own in a dynasty fantasy football league are running backs who are in the last year of their contracts. Because intrinsically, we know in dynasty football that they're easily replaceable. We know this. That's the reason why you don't want to, if you want to draft a running back in a dynasty league, you draft a rookie or a second round, second year player. You don't draft somebody who's in their last year of the contract because you don't know if they're even going to have a starting job next year. They could go from a top five point getter to on the street and off your team in one year because they just ran out of gas and that's just it. It's like we understand it from an economic value standpoint when we're forced to deal unemotionally with it. But then the second it's our team, we find excuses. Mm -hmm. So the running back is like the above ground pool. If you live in the North, like we do, you can only use it for a few months and it doesn't add any value, but it's nice to have if you, if you, if you want to go on on a, on a hot summer day, which what do you do that once a week, maybe twice a week. I mean, having it is better than not having it. Sure. sure. Like the media, like the media room, like you're cooking, unlike the kitchen, you know, you're, how often do you get a chance to really sit down and enjoy it is every night or unlike a kitchen, you're cooking every single day. That's always being used. And it's always seen by everyone coming in. All right. All right. We're there. So, um, needless to say with a 30th pick in the first round, you're not going Javante Williams, the running back out of North Carolina. We're looking at uh, Jamin Davis, and I know I'm going to butcher some of these names, so I apologize. The linebacker out of Kentucky, Jason Away, the edge out of Penn State. And if I know you, you're not going to go linebacker, running back. You might look at Landon Dickerson at Alabama. You might look at Eric Stokes, the cornerback out of Georgia. Um, that's probably who you're going with. Instead of there's, I know Joe Tryon from um, Washington is still available. Is uh, are you looking at anyone else? Is this mock that I'm doing here intended to be predictive or is this what Bruce wants? This is, let me see what you did with cover one. You did the one with what Bruce wants, right? I did, <sighs> but I am going to do a predictive one for Buffalo rumblings. I do a 255 pa- 255 pick, you know, a whole seven round draft every single year on Buffalo rumblings, all 255 or 256 picks, however many there are every year. And that's intended to be predictive. So this one can be a Bruce one, or it can be a predictive, whatever you want to do it. I want to do a Bruce one because I want to know your thoughts on the player as far as what you like, because if you do it based on what Brandon Bean would do, you kind of, I feel like you'd be selling it. You wouldn't even sell yourself on it. So let's go with what Bruce wants. I'm taking Eric Stokes. Eric Stokes. Okay. You know why I'm taking Eric Stokes. I want to play more man coverage. And if you have someone who's got man coverage in his blood, in his DNA, the way that Eric Stokes does, I want to be able to show opposing offenses more looks to keep this defense from regressing any further. I don't want this defense to go into a nosedive and predictability is one of the things that can get you there. And if you have a corner, a CB two who just can't play man coverage because you just can't turn and run with opposing wide receiver ones or even wide receiver twos. You get bullied at the catch point or you get burned. And Micah Hyde has been great at saving Levi Wallace and Tredavious White from getting burned over the top. He's been great at that. Levi Wallace is one of the best deep ball defenders in football. But wouldn't it be great if he didn't have to? Wouldn't it be great if you had someone who could actually turn and run? I'm taking Eric Stokes and I'm not even feeling bad about it. Now, I know you're a big fan of secondary being 
important for pass rush with a cornerback like Eric Stokes, obviously an upgrade over Levi Wallace from what you're saying, uh, an upgrade over Dane Jackson. Does the Bills pass rush go from like, it was ranked like 15th or 16th as far as pressure. Um, do you think that they go up automatically just because of an addition uh, at CB2? And uh, yeah, just, just from that standpoint. If he's utilized correctly, then yes. So the average time to sack in the NFL is always, every single year, higher than the average time to throw, which means on average, the times you get sacked are as the times you held the ball too long. And how do you get someone to hold the ball too long? You try and mix up the quarterback. You mix them up with throwing different coverages at him. You make sure you're tight on that. You're, you're actually trying to progress to his second, third, fourth read. You mix him up from a chronology standpoint. He thinks it's actually man. So he starts his concepts on the right side of the formation when it's actually zone. And he should start on the left side of the formation. If you have Levi Wallace out there, you can't do that thing as much. You just can't because you need more versatile athletes on the back end to throw different types of coverages at a quarterback, which make him hold the ball longer. When he holds the ball longer, the rush gets there. So yes is the answer. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we're looking in the second round, pick 61. Um, the first names off the board are Jabril Cox, a linebacker out of LSU, which normally I wouldn't even bring up, but I know he's been lauded for his coverage skills as a linebacker. Um, we already took a cornerback, so I'm guessing you're not thinking Asante Samuel Jr., the cornerback out of Florida State, or even Aaron Robinson, the cornerback out of UCF. Um, I'm guessing, right? I mean, this is, I know you took like three DBs in your cover one draft, but um, you're probably not going to go back to back, right? You dare me? <laughs> the edges, I mean, you're looking at edge right now. The top ones is Janarius Robinson out of Florida State and Payne Turner out of Houston, which you might be able to get in the third round. I know. So in the, so if you're looking in, you know, interior offensive lineman, which you said was a huge need, um, there's nobody there I like. Yeah, you don't like Quinn Miners. I don't, that's I don't love one. Quinn Miners. Not in the second round. At I'm going to do it, dude. I'm totally going to do it. <laughs> I'm going to take Asante Samuel Jr. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing it. Okay, and here's the reason why I'm doing it. Number one, um, I think Asante Samuel is not limited to playing on the outside. I think you can play him at nickel, right? And Levi Wallace is, on, is under contract for one year. Mm -hmm. How much would you love to go from having Taron Johnson and Levi Wallace as your nickel corner and outside corner to Asante Samuel Jr. and Stokes. Like, how big of an upgrade is that? That's wow. a massive upgrade. And before you think it's crazy, the Carolina Panthers, when Josh Norman left, drafted three corners in a row, second, third, fourth round. They drafted wow. Vernon Butler and then three corners in a row. So don't think it's insane because it's not. Brandon <laughs> Bean, Brandon Bean has been a part of a group that has done it before. I'm doing it. I'm taking okay. Asante Samuel Jr. Wow. I think he's a steal. I think I, I'd be okay oh, with yeah. him at 30. Yeah. Why does he keep dropping? Because at first I saw him as, you know, first, second round talent. And now he's, you know, dropping all the way to the bottom of the second round. I, I, it's just the way it goes. The reason Asante Samuel is there is because none of the interior offensive linemen that I like are there. Mm -hmm. oh, so because there's a run on them, obviously. There's, there was a run on interior offensive line. If Creed Humphrey or Landon Dickerson would have been there, I probably would have taken him. But I'm taking back-to-back -back corners, and you can't stop me. This is my <laughs> show. I'll do what I want. You brought me on here and to make these picks, and I'm going to make them. I'm just kidding. <laughs>
Jeez, we were talking about hubris of the Bills coaching staff to coach up DBs. Maybe it's <laughs> maybe we've already gotten under Bruce. It's, it's me. It's my fault. I'm just kidding. Oh, goodness gracious. Uh, I love it. So it was obviously too early to look at tight end in the second round for you um, because there was a couple of tight ends available. Now we're looking at the third round. You've already got two corners, so you're probably not going to pick a corner in the third round, although I wouldn't put it past you. Hear me? Uh, I was just kidding. <laughs> you're going to do it out of spite now. I'm gonna go seven corners. You're gonna have to post this mock on Twitter and be like, guys, I don't know. I'm sorry. I, I don't know what he did to me. We were having such a good time, and then he just started taking corners, and I heard him cackling, cackling maniacally in the background, and I'm like, I, I don't know what's going on. He's like, can you believe he actually let me do this? Um, so in the third round with the Bills' 93rd, or the 93rd overall pick, uh, we're looking at uh, top players, um, Quincy Roche, the edge out of Miami University, the University of Miami. Um, we're looking at interior offensive lineman Ben Cleveland from Georgia. Uh, we're looking at uh, other edges, Jordan Smith out of UAB, uh, Victor Demu KJ out of Duke. Um, you're probably not going to want to go further down than that. There's Show not a lot of all of the here. edges right now. Okay. Okay. I'm taking Quincy Roche here. Quincy Roche. Okay. The I'm defensive taking, end out of Miami. Yep. Yeah. I, he's a little bit light. He plays in the two forties, but I really thought that he was a polished player and I really would have liked to have seen him on the same field with Rousseau and Jalen Phillips, but we didn't get that. But I I think that there's some discussion about Roche being a 3-4 outside linebacker, which is okay, but I think he's a pretty good run defender, and I think he's an every-down player. So for me, I think there's some possibility that you could use him as a base end in pass rushing situations and potentially use him as like a rush linebacker if you wanted to have more of a joker position in this defense, I don't think he's a fantastic fit, but I really think that if you have a player like that, you can do a little bit of modification. Now, I'm not saying you change the entire defense to fit Quincy Roche. That's not what I'm saying. But, I mean, look at someone like Lorenzo Alexander, for example, someone who was a, a rush linebacker and also played end for this team, defensive end. I think you can do a little of that with him and he can give a little bit of juice, even if he doesn't turn into a full-time player. And I really don't like the drop-off after Roche. So I'm taking him. I really was hoping that Turner would be, I took a little bit of a chance taking Asante Samuel, hoping Janarius Robinson or Peyton Turner were going to be there. Neither one of them were there, but I do feel comfortable with Roche in the third round. So he must be toolsy because like you mentioned earlier, that's your strategy. Anything after the first round, obviously you're looking at tools to, to build upon and, uh, and for, for sustained success, if they're actually going to succeed after not being a first round pick, which you said historically is where the most success comes from. Yeah. I like, I like the tools that I see with Quincy Roche. A lot of people have a comparison to Yannick Ngakwe with him. Mm -hmm. So someone who, wins a very specific way, but is well enough, a well-rounded enough player that he doesn't have to be a specialist. He could be, but doesn't have to be. And there's still some, maybe an every down player sort of stuff with him. So for me, there was a clear drop off, a very, very clear drop off after, after Roche. And I didn't want to wait any longer 
on that position. I, I took a little bit of a chance. If we were doing trades, I may have traded up. Once I saw the first of Peyton Turner and Janarius Robinson go, I probably would have stopped it and traded up to get the other one, the other one of Turner or Robinson. And this, I don't have the luxury of, of course, of doing this this way. But for me, I, you know, I'm not really, I'm not really thrilled with the fact that neither one of them were there. Neither one of Turner or Janarius Robinson were there when I wanted them to be. But I think that Roche is like the last bastion of, okay, this guy can come in and I feel good about him potentially down the year being, you know, an impact player for you. Everybody after him, like when you get into DE 12, you know, DE 11, I don't feel super good about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Then it's like a completely different tier altogether. Right. Um, so we're looking at the Bills' fifth round pick because they don't have a fourth round pick. Uh, at this point, obviously, you've already taken an edge, so you're probably not going to look at edge. Um, I will look at defensive backs. Would you consider a running back? Now, I mean, you consider a running back in the second round, you've said. Would you consider a running back here? Do you like Chub- Chubba Hubbard um, from Oklahoma State? Um, I guess, what are your thoughts overall at this position? What do you want to see? I am on team do nothing on running back this year. I, mm-hmm. what, what you, Bruce, what do you want your strategy to be at running back? Nothing. <laughs> nothing. That's what I want my strategy to be. Do nothing. I'm completely fine with the three running backs you have for the Buffalo Bills. If you want to add somebody later in the draft, that's fine. But eh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm fine with it the way it is. We got some speed in there. When we added Matt Burita, you have vision and contact balance with your starters and Zach Moss and Devin Singletary. I don't really need to take a running back, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. So go ahead. I was going to say, and let's not forget the obvious stud that we have sitting on the practice squad, Christian Wade, your favorite, my favorite running back. Don't even start me with this right now. Why are you doing this? You know what? We were having a good time. I took two cornerbacks in a row, and then you got to make me. Now, Trey Adams actually retired. We're recording this on Thursday the 15th, and Trey Adams actually retired earlier today. So that's one less set of questions I have to get about Trey Adams potentially being an impact player, but I am going to have to still get the Christian Wade stuff. <laughs> As you should, because he's uh, a home run threat every time he touches the ball. Every time he touches pre-season the ball. Or the regular season or AFC championship game. So Show me into I, your defensive line and into your offensive line. Okay. So I'll do interior offensive line because that's what I clicked on first. We're looking at okay. Trey Hill out of Georgia, Sidarius Hutcherson, out of South Carolina, Drew Dalman out of Stanford, Tommy Kramer out of Notre Dame. How are you liking these? You want to go interior defensive line? Let me see interior defensive line. Okay. Oh man, this is going to be a fun to to pronounce. Kyrus Tonga from BYU, Bobby Brown the third out of Texas A and M. I know you're a fan. Uh, Naquan Jones out of Michigan State, and Carlo Kemp out of Michigan. Those are the top four. Hmm. Not feeling show, any of these, huh? Show me show me wide receivers. It's a tough call. Show yeah. me wide receivers, though. So the top of the list, Anthony Schwartz, wide receiver out of Auburn. Shai Smith, wide receiver off South Carolina. Uh, this is going to be a tough one. Josh. Im- oh, this, Bebe is how you pronounce Imater that. Bebe, that's right. Okay, I remember. This is the one that Greg said. Uh, what did you say? I'm a, ba- I'm a tall baby. <laughs> I'm a tall baby. <laughs> I'm a tall baby. Um. Is he tall? He better be at least six foot if if uh, if Greg's yes. going to use that. Okay. Yes, he, he, six is, foot he two, is tall. Right. Okay. All right. <laughs> All right. Here's what we're going to do. Mm-hmm. Go back to the interior defensive lineman. I'm taking Naquan Jones from Michigan State. Okay. Here. 
maybe a little bit, maybe a little bit of a reach for me. Okay. But if I want, if I want a one tech to learn behind star, I want someone who's got upside and this was a, he was a top recruit. I mean, he was, you know, first team all say he was a big deal when he went to Michigan state. He just didn't hit his ceiling. Probably a little bit of a reach to be honest. He probably mm-hmm. could be had later on the draft, but for me, I want to make sure I get dibs on a player like this. This is a guy who, if he was a priority free agent, like let's say that you know, cause we're in the fifth round right now. Yes. So let's assume he was there in the seventh. I would desperately want to get him because I don't want him to start getting into a bidding process as a priority free agent. So for me, I think that there's something there that just never really developed at Michigan state. And I just want to see if there's something there with Naquan Jones, because I saw him flash a lot against the Buckeyes and in big 10 football, just never really, he never really got the ceiling that you thought he was going to get when he came out of high school. And so I'm taking a swing on, on, on upside here at this position and I'm taking Naquan Jones. Now, this next one, I'm going to take Derek Forrest, the safety out of Cincinnati. Derek Forrest is one of my favorite players in the draft who I can consistently get in the sixth round. And the reason that is, is because when I watch him, I just nod a lot. I nod a lot when I watch Derek Forrest. Like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. The last player that I did that with, that it reminds me like that, was a cornerback out of Oregon State way, way back, who got drafted by the Philadelphia Eagles named Jordan Poyer. I was a huge Jordan Poyer guy when he came out. There's a tweet back from before I even used my Twitter account, like back when I had seven followers. There's a tweet from years and years and years ago about me going, oh man, the Eagles drafted Poyer. I really wanted him like way back. And then he ended up, of course, being a Bill safety way years and years later. But Derek Forrest was a player like that for me, where I was just like, you know what? I am, I'm just nodding a lot. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, I think people would probably feel better if I actually would have flipped the last pick. If I would have picked Forrest at the last pick and then picked Naquan Jones, I think people would have been a little bit happier with my pick. But you know what? This is this is, this is what we're doing. Um, I want some safety depth. I'm going to get some safety depth. Plus, I mean, I have to pick three defensive backs now, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I have oh, to. At least, at least a minimum. I'm, I'm required. <laughs> So that's what I'm going. I'm going Derek Forrest, safety Cincinnati. Well, if you're looking at it from a from a standpoint of when to start taking swings on guys, you probably don't want you obviously don't want to do that in the first round. Uh, the second round, not so much. And each round, you know, subsequently, you start to think more and more about that. Like, wait, we're let's let's start thinking high upside guys as opposed to, you know, low low ceiling guys, right? Um, and I think the fifth round is a perfect time to do that if you're going to do that or like it's just, i go back to fantasy like you know you know how average average draft position goes and the big board and the, whatever you use to go into your fantasy draft i mean after the first three or four rounds i mean almost everything's up for grab as long as you're not scrolling to the bottom you know um you got to look with that mindset if you want a guy go get him you know absolutely if you want a guy now's the time it's day three for the love of all this holy sacred stay three <laughs> exactly he might not even uh might not even make the team technically but it's it's at a position of need 
And, uh, you know, I like, I know you, you're not a big fan of Jaquan Johnson or you like him. You like Jaquan Johnson. I love Jaquan Johnson. Well, you love him. You love him, but I huge fan I, I, that it sounded like you weren't convinced that he could eventually take over for absolutely not. <laughs> yeah. So I have both those things start true. I love Jaquan Johnson and I don't want to ever see him on the field. Meaningful defensive snaps. <laughs> could you, so I, I guess he was pointed out to me from Joby. I was listening to a podcast where he was on, and he always raves about Jaquan Johnson. So I'm like, all right, well, let, let me check him out. And in the li- limited playing time he's had, he's looked really good. He's like one of those guys that um, those few players that when they get the opportunity, they just seem to shine. And, and it's just a little, it reminds me a little bit of like Jabari Greer or something like that. You know, just like a low round draft pick that all of a sudden when they get a chance, they look pretty good. Now, obviously, you know, Jaquan Johnson is, is much lower round pick than, than Jabari Greer was. And he didn't have as, as much, you know, acumen that, that Greer did. But I don't know. I just get that feeling when I see him. Very few players are like that to me. Um, and he's one of them. I understand that. To me, I, I was having a conversation with Joe Marino not too long ago, and we were talking about Ardarius Washington, who's a prospect in this draft. And we're like, what do we do with Ardarius Washington? And eventually we said, you know what? You do with Ardarius Washington what you did with Jaquan Johnson. You enjoy his tape. You're very excited about his tape. You love watching him. And you hope your team doesn't draft him and expect him to start. Both those things can be true because Mm -hmm. there are, at some point, athletics matter in athletics. Athleticism matters when you're required to do athletic things. And if you're short and you're not long and you're slow and you're not very big, there isn't a lot of place in the NFL for you, mm-hmm. like on a defensive standpoint. And you might come in and make a couple flashes. You could do it because you have great instincts and all that stuff matters. But athleticism kind of matters a big deal when you're playing against elite athletes. And that's just kind of the way it is. So, mm-hmm. For me, I loved Jaquan Johnson. I gave the pick an A when we were grading it because I love Jaquan. It was a six round pick. He can come in and play teams for you. And if he comes in and you get four years, you don't cut him for his entire rookie contract. That's a win. We just need to start adjusting our definition of wins and losses for late round picks. It's like if that person is on your team and plays teams and backs up a position and doesn't fall on their face for four years. That's a win for a six-round pick. Not every six-round pick is going to be Tom Brady. This is not the way it works. So I can simultaneously love it and also not wanting to play any meaningful snaps on defense, which is where I'm at. I love his ball skills. I love his tape. I love his aggressiveness. I love his physicality. I love his instincts from the position. If you put Jaquan Johnson in a single high situation and you ask him to play numbers to numbers or sideline to sideline, Things are going to go badly, like real badly. He just doesn't have the physical gifts for that. Can you imagine him trying to defend the deep ball the way that Micah Hyde does? It's just, I love Jaquan Johnson. I just don't want him to play meaningful defensive snaps. So does Derek Forrest have much more athletic ability when it comes from going sideline to side? Okay, okay. All right. All right, sold. (laughs) Sold. (laughs) There there goes my man crush on Jaquan Johnson. Thanks for crushing that bruise um no i, I appreciate right. i always appreciate the the nuance of of your conversation you can have because i'm going to ask you a very nuanced question at the end of this 
mock draft and uh and it's one that i think i one that i think you can appreciate because uh even last year i asked you you know why do we why do people look at things in such a binary way you know as opposed to you know ones and zeros blacks and whites why is it always one thing and another whereas in actuality two things can be true you can love jaquan johnson as a player but still want a better safety right so like all right i'm taking jalen darden here at 213 I know he's a he's a go-to for me. I take him a lot, quite frankly. But you need a backup slot receiver because Cole Beasley's 33 and coming off a broken leg. And you want somebody who's got some some get up and go to him. Yeah, Jalen Darden's got some get up and go. In addition, he gives you extra benefit as a return man. So there's that. And if you if you want to do some quick hitter stuff in your offense, I think he can come in and immediately compete with Isaiah McKenzie. Mm-hmm. And if he's able to lose out to Isaiah McKenzie, then great. You can put him on the practice squad and Isaiah McKenzie's on a one-year deal. And when his contract comes up, you can pull up Jalen Yarden next year. Or if Isaiah McKenzie breaks out, then you can, when you let go of Cole Beasley, you'll have Isaiah McKenzie re-signed at that point as your slot receiver and Jalen Darden will become your Isaiah McKenzie. So you're just stacking your explosive slot players and giving yourself some benefit in the return game. Mm-hmm. I love it. I love it. Jalen Darden, the wide receiver out of North Texas in the sixth round. So Bruce, we're at the last pick in the seventh round. There's got to be a player that you love around this time frame. Um, Scroll down for me a little bit. Yep. You're in the all board, right? Everything's here. I'm in the all board. Yes. You already picked a wide receiver, so you might not go there. Although, you know, two wide receivers wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. Probably stash one on the practice squad. Keep scrolling here. Goodness gracious. It's all wide receivers. Uh, I'm taking Paris Ford. I know I'm going to take four defensive backs. No, you know what? No, I'm not going to do it. I'm not that crazy. I'm not doing it. <laughs> I was going to say, listen, I like Paris Ford from Pittsburgh, right? And I was going to take four defensive backs, Stokes, Samuel, Forrest, and Ford. Like, you know what? I'm going to take it up a notch from uh, the from the cover one pod. I'm going to do from you thought three defensive backs was bad. Here's four. <laughs> then by the time the NFL draft gets around here, I'm taking five defensive backs. <laughs> In one, no, just he's drunk. He's drunk with power. Everywhere. Show me interior offensive line again. I'm not going to do it. Oh, yeah. I wanted to do it. I was tempted to do it. Show me interior offensive line. Yeah, you know, we haven't taken any offensive linemen at all. It's because they just weren't there. I, I looked at them a couple different times, and it just wasn't there. You know what? Take Josh Sills. Okay. Josh Sills, the interior offensive lineman out of Oklahoma State. So your guy? He's not necessarily my guy, but... He's he's really tall for a guard. I think he's six six. Yep, six six. But I think that one of the things I was notating when I was watching Tevin Jenkins is I was notating that I don't think he's the only NFL player on that offensive line. I think that there's an opportunity for players who are not Tevin Jenkins on the Oklahoma State offensive line to be okay. I don't remember him from West Virginia. I didn't watch any of Sills from West Virginia. I only watched him because I was watching Tevin Jenkins anyway. I'm like, well, I'm already here. So let's just go ahead and do that. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that if you want to do zone stuff more, I think that Sills gives you a nice alternative to someone like Cody Ford. I think his length and I think his, his movement helps him a little bit as far as getting out as far as reach blocks. And I think that he can, he can be accurate when he's punching 
hitting moving targets, being able to play downhill. I, I think he can do it. I understand that there's a lot of discussion about man gap and versus zone schemes for the Buffalo Bills. And when I watch Sills, I'm like, I know the foot speed isn't great, but I think he's a smooth enough mover that I'm okay with him. And the length helps. The hand placement helps. I think we can do it. So if I'm going to take a swing on an offensive lineman who might fit, sure, let's do it. Okay. Okay, so our draft as it stands, Bruce's draft, um, if it were up to him, would be first-round pick Eric Stokes, the cornerback out of Georgia, then Asante Samuel Jr., the cornerback out of Florida, back-to-back corners, I like it, Quincy Roche, the defensive end out of the University of Miami, Naquan Jones, the defensive tackle out of Michigan State, Derek Forrest, the safety out of Cincinnati, Jalen Darden, the wide receiver out of North Texas, and Josh Sills, the interior offensive lineman out of Oklahoma State. So what do you feel about it? I mean, now that you've had a chance to summarize it, are you a fan of this? I mean, do you do you like this better than the cover one draft, or is it just a different – I mean, can you even compare the two? I like this one. I took a couple chances and it didn't work out for me. So like I said, I was kind of hoping Turner and Janarius Robinson would be there at 93 and they weren't. And in a real situation, I probably would have waited in a second. One of them came off the, the, the board. I would have traded up for the other one, but settling for Roche is okay. I probably reached on Naquan Jones a little bit. I like Forrest. I refuse to apologize for that. I like Darden. I wish, I wish Kramer would have been around from Notre Dame. In the sixth and seventh, I like him better as an interior offensive line prospect than Sills. So I don't love it. I'm good with it. I think that Stokes and Samuel are absolute slam dunks at 30 and 61. And I think that that by itself makes this draft something that's palatable for me. But the rest of it just didn't fall for me the way I want. Every time I would say, hey, go look at the interior offensive lineman. You'd go there and I'd be like, I don't like anybody here. And a couple times you went to wide receiver. And I was like, eh, I feel like I take Joshua Matabebe on every single draft and I'm sick and tired of taking him. And I am taking Jalen Darden, who I take all the time in mock drafts. I was trying to do something a little bit different. I've never taken Quizzy Roche in a mock. I've never taken Naquan Jones in a mock. I've never taken Sills in a mock. So I was trying to do something a little bit different because by this time, by the time you're listening to this, the draft is less than two weeks away. And You've heard the same names four million times, and you're probably sick of it. I wanted to try and introduce you to different players and different things, and I was okay. I did okay in trying to introduce some new concepts. Mm-hmm. No, no, I like it. I like it. You know, I the one thing I struggle with uh, conceptually with the draft and when it comes to you know def- figuring out team needs is the fact that in my opinion, everything always comes down to Josh Allen, right? I mean, it's great to have a cornerback in the first round. Um, and I know that's a need. I know, I know mentally it's a need, but at the same time, I also think, well, if you're not building around Josh Allen, so this, so this is where I get into like this kind of flummox of thoughts and opinions, because everything from here on out, starts and ends with Josh Allen because the defense wasn't great last year. They weren't terrible, but they weren't as good as the year before. Um, But the reason why the bills made the AFC championship was because of Josh Allen. So I guess I wonder, like, do you ever think that maybe everything, 
I guess it all depends on, on the value, but like offensive linemen, wide receivers. I remember always watching like the Steelers and the Packers. These are teams that always had quarterbacks and always had uh, good quarterbacks, always had good wide receiving cores. Um, like the, before Antonio Brown, they had Heinz Ward. And, you know, they always tried to build around Big Ben. They always gave him a wide receiver every season. They always gave him a new piece on the offensive line, and they always succeeded. I think the same thing about, for example, the Green Bay Packers. When they had Jordy Nelson, they drafted Devontae Adams. You know, they, they just always kept a stream of players coming in. Maybe they panned out. Maybe they didn't. So part of me thinks that each year you have to build around Josh Allen somehow in the draft. You have to draft an offensive lineman to protect him and a wide receiver, at least one wide receiver to give, or a tight end, whatever the case is, a, a playmaking weapon to help him on that end. Because if not, and Josh Allen goes down, how much does it matter that, you know, you have the the best cornerback duo in the league? Um, so I guess I kind of, I kind of wonder with that it's big picture versus, you know, in the moment, this draft, what players are good. Do you ever think about those things or does that ever cross your mind when you're coming up with needs or what the bills should take at any given round or scenario? Yeah, I think it crosses my mind a lot. I think it crosses it a lot more now that Josh Allen looks like he's the guy for the Buffalo bills and barring some sort of catastrophic regression. He's probably the guy. So for, for this team, I think that Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott summed it up best when they said, you never want to lose your fastball. And I think it's understanding who you are as an organization. And I think that sometimes we think too much about shoring up our needs and not enough about shoring up the things we're already good at. Do you improve a need or do you improve a thing you're already good at to keep your fastball? Like, what is it that made the Bills offense successful last year? What is it that made the Bills organization successful last year? And one of the things that comes to mind about this is my conversation about the running backs is that the Bills had the best offense in the history of the franchise last year. That's not debatable. That's not me being hyperbolic. It was the best offense in the history of the franchise with a bunch of running backs that you now say are garbage and need to be replaced. Well, obviously, the running backs didn't influence the offense that much because the Bills had the best offense ever. So the, the Bills have had better running backs than Devin Singletary and better running backs than Zach Moss dozens of times over the course of their franchise history. Let's just look real quickly, okay? Which I want to give you a running back name, okay? And I need you to tell me if they're better than both Singletary and Moss, okay? Sound good? Sounds good. Travis Henry. Um, yes. Willis McGahee. Yes. Marshawn Lynch. <laughs> I see where you're going with this and yes. Yep. Fred Jackson. Yes. CJ Spiller. Uh, I mean, uh, talent wise. Sure. I don't know if, I don't know if his career will be as good as theirs, but, um, LaShawn McCoy. Yes. Antoine Smith. Oh yeah. All much better. Everybody. They were all much better than the two people we had. That wasn't enough to make the offense even close to being as good. None of those people I just talked about were on a top five offense. None of them ever. Wow. One time, Travis Henry was part of the Drew Bledsoe, Peerless Price, Eric Molds offense. That was the best offense we had during the drought in 2002. Ironically enough, I had season tickets that year. Mm. I went to eight games that year. It was the only year I ever went to multiple games, and I, I think I've gone like two games since. I really don't like going to games anymore. That was back when I was 
you know, a child. <laughs> no, 2002 was a million yeah. years ago for me. Yeah. So I was, I was, I was old, but not as old as I am now. So for me, I look at the running back and go, I'm not saying having a better running back is a bad idea. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that that's not what makes the Bills offense go. So let's not overinvest in something that doesn't move the needle when it comes to the offense as a whole. And that's a little bit what you're, you're talking about. Let's not lose our fastball. Let's make sure we know what we are. We are a 11 and 10 base personnel who throws the ball to wide receivers a lot. That's what we are. So let's make sure we have those reinforcements. That does, I don't think it means you have to draft one every year. I just think that means you need to make sure that you don't lose it. So for me, it's the understanding that I would I looked for wide receiver multiple times in this draft. And as long as you're constantly keeping your eye on it, then you don't have to worry. The problem, the time when you have to worry is you go, you know what? We're fine there. Okay. We don't even have to worry about it. Don't even look, don't even bother replacing John. A lot of people were not in the boat of even having to replace John Brown. Just cut him. Gabriel Davis can handle it. And I was like, no, 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 no. He might handle it, but I'm not going to bank my entire offense on that. I'm not going to go, well, I'm going to assume that Gabriel Davis can handle it. And if he can't, oops, I guess the offense sucks now. No, I'm not going to do that. So when they signed Emmanuel Sanders, I was all about it. I was like, listen, you are hedging your bets well, and now we can kick the can down the road one more year because he's on a one-year deal and he's 34 years old. But next year, unless Gabriel Davis just absolutely shows out, I'm going to want more receivers. So I agree with you in principle that you just can't lose your fastball and you need to make sure that you understand who you are. This is who we are. And I need to make sure that we don't lose the essence of what makes us good. Okay. Okay, great. Now, the last question I have as, as it relates to the, the draft, and I want to get you out of here, is that, um, in my opinion, I think this is a big draft for Brandon Bean. And not because he's going to get fired next year, because we know he won't. He's going to be here for a long time. And this kind of goes into the nuances they were talking about. You love Jaquan Johnson. It doesn't mean that you want him to be your starter um, in, at any moment, because you, you still like watching him, you still like enjoy him. I had this feeling about Brandon Bean as when it comes to drafting. And I've kind of hinted at it in the past in previous episodes, but um, one of the reasons why I really wanted Matt Milano signed is because there's not a lot of guys after him that you definitely know you want the Bills to re-sign for a long-term deal besides Josh Allen. Now, Josh Allen is obviously the most important one. He's the quarterback. He's what we just he's just what you talked about. That's why we've gone as far as we have. The problem is there's not a lot of guys behind these starters that have been re-signed le- recently where you look at the Bills don't have the luxury of looking at uh, a guy behind, let's say, Deion Dawkins. When Deion Dawkins' contract is up, we don't have a guy waiting in the wing saying, okay, we're good. We don't have to give him another 15 or $20 million a year contract. We can just have this rookie step in. Uh, and that's just one example, but there's not a lot of areas where looking at the roster where you can do that in even a linebacker, all the needs that you mentioned in a previous episode, it's because we don't necessarily have the draft picks yet to replace those guys. And I think every year that we don't have those big name or those really good contributors that could take over for a veteran in front of them. I think it just kind of kicks the can down the road and it kind of compounds a little bit. And so I'm not saying that this is a make or break draft for Brandon Bean. It's clearly not. But have you ever thought about that issue? Like, 
he's Brandon Bean's amazing GM. He's great at free agency. He's great at addressing needs. He's great at putting the pieces ahead. Maybe not so great of a drafter so far in his, uh, in his career. So for me, Brandon Bean being a good drafter, I think is you have to define good drafter. If you get two or three starters out of a draft, that's amazing. And you get some depth there. I think one of the things that you have to understand about Brandon Bean is based on his drafting is based on life cycle, where you are at as you're in your life cycle as a team is going to determine whether the answers to the questions you just asked are even going to be needed to be present. So for example, Deion Dawkins, you mentioned Deion Dawkins. We don't have anybody to replace Deion Dawkins. Great. Okay. Deion Dawkins signed an extension last year for four years. So I don't have to worry about that for a little bit. And then when he has a contract that expires, if he's still playing at a high level, I don't necessarily want to replace him. I'm okay paying a franchise left tackle, franchise left tackle money. I think that picking the veterans that you want to replace with cheaper rookies is the first step to finding the rookies to replace them with. So I'll give you a great example. Tremaine Edmonds is a great example of this for me. I think they are going to pick up Tremaine Edmonds' fifth-year option, but I'm not on board right now with signing Tremaine Edmonds to a fat extension. I would pick up his his fifth-year option. I would see how he develops in year four and have that fifth-year option available to him. It's two more years before I have to make a call on Tremaine Edmonds. I don't need to extend him right now. If he doesn't show significant improvement next year, then you can draft somebody and have them sit behind Tremaine Edmonds for a year and let him walk. But for me, the Micah Hyde Joya Poyer is a lot more important because of their age. Deion Dawkins still is in his 20s. Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde are both over 30. So, and both of them are signed this year and next year, and then they're both gone. So for me, when you look at Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer, those are the first kind of positions to come up. When you think about players who are on expensive contracts, who you may decide to let walk, right now, the first test is going to be Micah Hyde, Jordan Poyer. Because you look around the rest of the, it's not Darrell Williams, it's not Deion Dawkins, Mitch Morse was signed as a free agent, they're probably going to let him walk. We already know they're probably going to let him walk probably next year or the year after they might slide John Feliciano over to center when that happens, because that's something that they fiddled around with before. So I wouldn't be shocked if the first real, Hey, this homegrown player, this player who's been with us for a long time, we're going to let them walk off into the sunset and we're going to replace them. I wouldn't be surprised if that first happens at safety. So the first thing is let's find the position where it's going to happen at and then we can draft the player. I just don't think we've needed to yet. We're not in that part of the life cycle yet. After Josh Allen signs his deal, we quickly become in that part of the life cycle. You quickly become the, we're going to have to let this guy walk. And when you anticipate, we're going to have to let this guy walk. Now, all of a sudden, it becomes the onus on you to make sure that you're simultaneously keeping your foot on the gas and making sure that you're keeping your fastball the way we talked about, but also drafting players who you can develop to take over so that you can let more expensive veterans walk for cheaper players. Mm -hmm. And that'll be the real test because right now Bean has been able to plug in these holes with, you know, cheaper guys in free agency, but you know, as well as I do, even if you get a $2 million a year free agent, um, that's still more expensive than a fifth round pick. Yep. than a Mamalana was. So uh, the the savings that we got from uh, from anyways, it's just something. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. We'll we won't know until 
it actually because look at the look at the uh, the Seahawks now and what they're dealing with, right? Like they now that they have cap limitations, and then they realize maybe they're not so good at drafting. So um, that's the just fastest way to fill a hole is with a free agent. The cheapest way to fill a hole is with somebody already on your roster. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Great. So um, I have to ask you this. I wanted to ask you some personal questions that weren't going to give away too much because What's you know I I am part of the FBI. <laughs> I know. Okay. I know. Right. No one ever gets to. No one ever asks you these for these questions. It's because um, I don't answer them, Nate. <laughs> Um, it's bad well, content. <laughs> <laughs> nobody wants I, to know I, about I, me. Just, I, just the man, the disembodied voice inside <laughs> my computer right now, who says things that I don't like about cornerbacks. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I got, I got to ask you a couple. I know I've taken up a ton of your time, um, but this has been so much fun. I don't get a chance to talk to you that often, and uh, you know, I know that I'm a, I'm a huge dog lover. I know you're a huge dog lover. You have several dogs. You share them constantly on Instagram. Um, just, I mean, how many, how many dogs do you have? How did you get these dogs? Do you, do you go through breeders? Do you rescue them? I mean, you're. How did you, how did you be, did you grow up with dogs? I mean, how did you, and, and was that important with your wife? Because I know when I met my wife, um, I, I wanted to have a dog, like before I even thought about children, even it was just like, I wanted to have a dog. Um, what about you? I know you're a big dog lover. Do you share some of those same sentiments that I do? I'm not going to tell you how many dogs I have. I have more than one dog and not enough dogs. <laughs> that's, that's how many dogs I have. Um, mm-hmm. I have never gone to a breeder in my entire life for a dog. Every dog that I've ever had was I found them or they were a rescue or somebody we know had to move and couldn't take their dog with them or somebody went into uh, assisted a living facility and couldn't take their dog with them or some sort of circumstantial stuff where they had to give up their dog and we wanted to give them a home um, they moved into a house that had stairs and their dog couldn't handle the stairs anymore. And they were very sad. And so something happened where the dog was in need and we decided that we were going to be part of that dog's family. So every single time we've gotten a dog, that's the way it's gotten. We have never actually gone out looking for a dog. <laughs> it just kind of <laughs> happens. The dogs, just th- the magnetic force of the universe. They all know that I'm a dog person and they just show up. So that's how I uh, obtained my dogs. I am a huge dog person. This is no, uh, this is well known about me. I I believe dogs are better than people. Um, And I have, let's say this. Well, let me say it this way. So I have more dogs than I have friends. Mm -hmm. Let's throw that out there. So to, to put that in perspective, my definition of friend. Okay. This is my definition of friend. Cause I, I think that social media has distorted and perverted our definition of the word friend. And to the point where we all think we have like 200 friends. You don't have 200 friends. Nobody has 200 friends, right? My definition of friend is this. If you ask them to help you move and it is not awkward for you to ask or awkward for them to hear, then they're your friend. That's like my it. definition of the word friend. So man, man that knocks a lot of people. It out knocks of a lot of people. <laughs> if, it's, if it's awkward for you to ask them or if it's awkward for them to hear it, they're not your friend. That's my definition of the word friend. So I have very, very, very few friends. By that definition, you and I are not friends, right? Mm-hmm. If I called you up, I was like, hey, Nate, dude, will you help me move? You'd be like, what the hell? Like, what's, Why is <laughs> Bruce asking me to help him move? That's weird, right? Uh, new number, who dis? <laughs> exactly, yeah. No matter how much beer and pizza you get offered, that's still awkward AF. So yep. 
Mm-hmm. By that definition, you're not a friend. So I have more dogs than I have friends. And I, I like it that way, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, what about your wife? Does she also, was that a, was that a make or break thing when, you know, you, you put the criteria forth for looking for a partner? Was that, was that even in the, in the cards? Honesty, loyalty, appreciation, morality, and compatible conflict management are the five pillars of relationships for me. So when I went to go look for a wife, I was looking for honesty, loyalty, appreciation, compatible morality, and conflict management. Those are the five traits that I find to be the most important in human beings for friends and also for life partners. So for me, I found that. Now, compatible morality is flexible. But compatible interest is a nice touch. I don't think it's necessary. It's not one of my five tenants. So I dated girls before who were not dog people, right? I can live without that, but it's a nice bonus if you're a dog person. And Mm -hmm. thankfully, my wife happens to be a dog person. So that helped. She grew up with dogs. I grew up with dogs. We both like dogs. It worked out nicely. Yes. So this this is kind of an off-ball question but um obviously you're a huge draft fan and you must have been psyched when the movie draft day came out like five ten years ago or whatever it was and uh, it took place in cleveland you live in that general area or whatever in ohio um and your bills fan originally was supposed to take place with the buffalo bills being the team that was centered around instead of the cleveland browns um what did you think of the movie were you excited about it what were your thoughts of it after you saw it i loved it it was ridiculous but I loved it. It is exactly what Hollywood would think the draft is like. If you think about it that way, it becomes a lot of fun. You think, okay, what does Hollywood think the NFL draft looks like? Right. And that's what they think is all this crazy drama and behind the scenes nonsense. And it's big dramatic stuff where everyone in the draft room is like, quick, 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 be quiet, be quiet. He's making a deal. He's doing it. I want David GD Putney right now. Right. I love it. I think it's awesome. My wife loves it. We're going to watch it again this year. I think we're going to make a tradition. We're going to watch it every year before the draft, which has historically not been a thing, but my wife watched it for the first time last year and she actually liked it. So I think we're going to watch it every year before the draft is kind of like a, like a tradition. Mm -hmm. And I'm a fan. I think it's ridiculous, but it's not, it's not a documentary for goodness sake. You don't look at Rambo and go, that's ridiculous. He'd never kill all that many people. Of course you don't. You just accept it for the ludicrousness that it is. You don't watch Fast and the Furious and go, oh, he couldn't possibly jump that car out of one building and into the other one. Of course he couldn't. It's ludicrous. It's the same thing, but with draft trades. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so wait, three third rounds don't equal a first round pick? Is that is that something? Shockingly enough, no. <laughs> no, that, that, that it's like it's almost like they ignored that whole uh the points i don't know how much how oh much yeah no jimmy johnson trade chart. chart was not was not was not consulted before the <laughs> the, the script was written oh, that's so funny that's so funny so i i didn't enjoy it but that's i didn't go in with the same mindset that you had i wanted realistic and i got hollywood so i i wish i wish i had thought of it that way because i think i would have enjoyed it so much more i think you should it's yeah yeah. Anyway, um, I'm going to release a podcast. We did a review on it a few years ago before I joined Buffalo Rumblings about that that movie, and it was such a fun discussion to do it. Um, I want to thank you so much for for coming on and giving your opinion on the draft and, and lending so much time. Uh, this was a lot of fun. Thanks a lot for coming on, Bruce. When can, where can they find your podcast or in your social media and everything that you do? 
if you are not sick of me by now, we are an hour and 52 minutes into this. If you are not sick of me now, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce exclusive. You can find my show, the Bruce exclusive. It drops every Thursday and Friday on the Buffalo rumblings podcast network. Nate, thanks so much for having me. You guys, you guys are so gracious to me. I mean, you guys have me on these pods and you open up your content to me and you allow me to get on here and ramble ridiculously and take take corners in the first and second round. And I, I I cannot, I cannot say thank you enough for the Buffalo rumblings family for, for taking me in and for accepting me and being so gracious with your time and energy with me, but also, you know, you were constantly, you know, helping me promote my work. And I just, I just really appreciate your partnership. I'm happy to be on the network with you and I appreciate you having me. Yeah. You know, when the first, when you guys did eventually come on the network, you were the first other group beside myself that wasn't entrenched in buffalo rumblings somehow we i wasn't a writer for buffalo rumblings i was just a podcaster and so it was kind of nice to have you guys come in it's kind of like the same set and i mean it's it's you've grown and evolved so much since then it's been it's been fun to watch it's been fun you know what i'm gonna i'm just gonna say it bruce if you need someone to help you move uh in the future <laughs> you know let me know just you know i'm only available you know the the fourth weekend of august from you know five you know 10 to 11 a.m that's all i'm gonna say so <laughs> sounds but, good no, no seriously i i, I it, this is this has been fun um it always is i always look forward to this um this part of the year to specifically talk to you and uh yeah thanks again man dude let's let's do it again next year Thanks again to Bruce for coming on and doing that long discussion. It was actually part two of an interview I did a couple of weeks ago with Bruce. The first part being commonly mocked prospects to the Bills. And then this this last episode being the, the seven-round mock draft. It's just a lot of fun. Bruce is a super cool guy and uh, even let me ramble on at the end just trying to piece together a question having to do with uh, how important this draft is for Brandon Bean. And I think that his point uh, as far as this isn't the most important draft, but as soon as Josh Allen gets his big contract and we can't rely on free agency like we did, then he becomes much more important. It becomes much more important to evaluate Brandon Bean's job as a draft evaluator. And I hope you enjoyed those questions, those personal questions about Bruce. I love doing this crossover pod with Bruce every year. This has been the second time that we've done it the past couple of years, and it's so much fun, so much fun to talk to. I hope you all enjoyed it. So for me, Nate, go Bills. Pay attention to our Twitter account to see the signed memorabilia giveaway that we're going to do for the Bills. And enjoy the draft. You know who we're going to love, whoever they pick anyway. And this is normally where I say don't pick a running back at number 30. But you know what I'm going to say instead? Let's just hope that uh, the Bills decide to renovate their kitchen instead of putting in a media room or even an above-ground pool. That's all we're saying. Just make the right uh, financial decision. (laughs) Again, go Bills. We'll talk to you guys again soon, right after the draft. Yeah. It's the mafia, you know I'm rocking with the bills. It's the mafia, you know I'm rocking with the bills. It's the mafia, I'm with the Buffalo Bills. It's the mafia, you know I'm rocking with the bills. Hey, hey.
Who you reppin', what's your team? Who you reppin', what's your team? You know I'm reppin' for my team I got that salad on my team Like a high Jordan boy, can you catch it? Trade day is like a mask, you not catching anything Matt Milano making plays, we not scared of any team Best in the AFC, all the praise of Brandon Bean You hear Sean McDermott clapping while I'm snapping? Jerry Hughes will get the sack soon as you snap it Andre Roberts running back, ain't no just backing Mafia, we on a ride and we got traction We got Beasley, we got Diggs with the stiff arm, treat opponents just like his Feliciano, Deion Dawkins, block defenders like the fence Hey, it's the mafia, I said no one on top of us I said no one is blocking us on top of our division So it's clear that it's no stopping us Google best team in the league and we popping up Hey, who you reppin', what's your team? Who you reppin', what's your team? You know I'm reppin' for my team I got a salad on my team it's the mafia, you know I'm rocking with the bills. Yeah. It's the mafia, you know I'm rocking with the bills. Uh. It's the mafia, I'm with the Buffalo Bills. Yeah. It's the mafia, you know I'm rocking with the bills. Hey, it's the mafia, I said no one on top of us. I said no one is blocking us on top of our division, so it's clear that it's no stopping us. Google best team in the league, and we popping up. Home game for the playoffs, but you already snow. Gabe Davis is a rookie, but he playing like a pro. Uh. Going through a table, only time we ever fold. Can you? 17, by to take us to the bowl, ayy, uh, don't you run it, Oliver and Trey Edmonds gonna be on it, we got Corey but we barely ever punt it, cause we just running up the score on our opponent, we got Beasley, we got Diggs, Singletary, by the juke him out of shoes, make him miss, run it in, Zach also throw the digs, it's for sick, Terry Johnson, pick six, to the house, take a flick, ayy, it's the mafia, you know I'm rocking with the Bills, it's the mafia, you know I'm rocking with the Bills, it's the mafia, I'm with the Buffalo Bills, it's the mafia, you know I'm rocking with the Bills, hey, who you reppin', what's your team, who you reppin', what's your team, you know I'm reppin' for my team, I got that Allen on my team, it's that Diggs on my team, Super Bowl, what you mean? Thank you for listening to the Circling the Wagons podcast. Download and subscribe to us in your favorite podcast service. Email us at ctwpod at gmail.com. That's Charlie Tango Whiskey Pod at gmail.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at ctwpod. And most importantly, go Bills! Nobody circles the wagons like the Buffalo Bills. Nobody circles the wagons like the Buffalo Bills, mate. <laughs>